0: Technically, it's 177th episode, actually, uh, because I did an episode zero uh, because it was a bit of a it was a bit of a pilot and it was a bit rubbish. But I count it; it's counted within canon according to the the, the viewers. Um, we've been li- we've been live for 4 seconds everyone uh, welcome to to, to to good evening everyone watching uh we've got uh, oh, f- a few lots of uh, lots of familiar friendly faces chris jackson's joined us actually hello chris uh yes a, a few familiar faces here it's episode 106 uh, 76 a week in the life of a, a, a railway managing director uh, because waiting in the wings is uh, managing director of Scotlands railway alex hines alex i i hope you don't mind me saying i was very privileged that you, uh, uh, very pleased that you actually asked to come and join the show quite a while back and it's taken me ages to get you on um uh very uh, very uh, I was very pleased when you said that because it's only a, it's only a little podcast, and uh, for you to want to join is quite exciting. And um, there's quite a bit that we're going to talk about before we do any talk. Uh, you know, so okay, we're going to talk about Scotland's railway, not least uh, uh, kind of answering the question: what exactly is Scotland's railway as an organisation? We're going to do a bit of that before we do that, though. It's been a while. Um, we're going to talk about um, the COVID stats because we have not been through the COVID statistics. These are the DFT COVID statistics per mode. Um, so cycling at the top, sadly, that's a, a, a trace that's now been discontinued because it's, it's been moved elsewhere. Uh, we've got cars and taxis, so private travel, uh, bus services outside of London, and then the little blue line at the bottom is is, is all rail ridership um, counted within the national rail statistics. Um, and this is the uh, monthly rolling average, so it's a nice, it's a more smooth trace. Um, and we can see that we're kind of, you know, UK, uh, sorry, GB overall ridership is bouncing around between the, the 19, hundred percent mark here in, 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 blue, um, bus ridership seems to be dropping a bit, car ridership climbing. Uh, so this is GB wide, uh, you know, within what you're, I mean, this you know, how does this match with Scotland? Uh, I'm curious to know what, what, where Scotland's at in terms of, of, of the figures, um, to your as far as your general understanding is so if i jump for example if i jumped into this year where it's a bit spikier um because this is the, the the day on day numbers there's every now and then there's a bit of a drop for i mean sometimes it's gb wide strike reasons or other reasons but um you can see actually if we zoom in that rail ridership is is kind of spiking well above um 100 at the moment if this is compared to 2019 so kind of prepared compared to pre-covid levels um yeah, I mean, this isn't revenue; it's ridership, it's bombs on seats. But it's yeah, it's this is it's reassuring that we're back where we are. I don't know what the pic what the picture might look like in Scotland, perhaps slightly different to the the, the overall GB picture, Alex. Yeah,
1: is that a question for me now?
0: Yeah, go for it. Well, yeah. It will... So
1: I mean, in, in broad terms, in Scotland we're about eighty percent of pre-COVID revenue, uh, but the peak is down by forty percent, four zero, which I just think is extraordinary. Mm. Azure is pretty much fully recovered. And Saturday is the busiest day on ScotRail. So, if you'd said to someone three and a half years ago, you know, in a short period of time, your peak business, 40% of it would have disappeared, and your busiest day would be Saturday, everyone would have thought you were mad. (laughs) Yes.
0: Uh, The
1: the key difference between Scotland and other parts of the UK right now is, of course, we are industrial action free, which I can tell you is a bloody fantastic place to yes
0: do. it's very good that's, that that's that's been settled and everyone can focus on the on the okay. mission at hand
1: so we've been delivering a great service for months now and we're marketing a lot our year-on-year revenue growth as we sit here today is 33 percent revenue growth so what that shows is that uh when you deliver a great service to passengers and you market it well people will come back to the railway Now, of course, the base we had in Scotland was lower than other parts because we had tighter restrictions for longer
0: yeah yeah.
1: at one point in journey recovery we were at the bottom of the journey recovery leaderboard so but we're we're romping up that leaderboard and it's really exciting to see
0: yeah good stuff and we'll pick into that a bit i think when we talk about the 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 future as well because it's it's easy for us to kind of just have the blinkers on and think that 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 everything's about just getting back to where we were post-covid but actually i think it's it's more useful to look further into the future anyway uh it's rude of me to bring alex in before allowing him to actually introduce himself but i thought it'd be interesting to talk brief very briefly about the covid stats because everyone's in here um uh everyone's in here watching yes i've put alex's uh, volume up a bit everyone thank you for letting us know in the chat so right before without further ado i'm gonna whizz us into the episode and then we we can uh, speak to alex properly everyone welcome to tonight's rail matter As the Intercity 225 fades away, you know, I spoke to the guy who actually owns the um, the license for the Eye for the Engine theme tunes and asked permission for this years back, you know, when I started this. And I, I did not expect the answer to be, oh, yeah, sure. And so, so, so I get the privilege of using uh, one of the happiest tunes that I used to enjoy listening to in my youth. Anyway, before we, um, before we very briefly, some news, because uh, the, the news is currently... Um, Oh, God, what's happening? Everything's on fire, which is... So we've always been said to not, not do monger and not scare-monger and, and think positively about the future and that we can solve the problems. But it, this year does seem to be the year of everything's melting and, uh, oh, golly. So there's record after record tumbling this year, um, particularly one of the worrying ones, which is ice related to the Antarctic. So Arctic ice kind of displaces the water that it sits in, not quite. But so, so it, in terms of sea level rise, Arctic ice reduction isn't necessarily so catastrophic, but... Antarctic sea ice extent is more worrying and it seems to have dropped off a cliff uh, by six more than six standard deviations uh, this year which is uh, worrying and there's a quote coming through from Kevin Anderson who does like to be very dramatic does Kevin but he has given this quite interesting quote which I think is quite reasonable which is there are now no non-radical futures the choice is between immediate and profound social change or waiting a little longer for chaotic and violent social change um in 2023 the window for this choice is rapidly closing i quite like this as a framing because it it's we 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 there has to be big change and i think uh, this is a useful thing for us to have in the background of our conversation alex so just 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 kind of humming in the background but before we talk more about Scotland's railway it's only polite for me to actually bring you in to say hello properly given that you've been waiting in the wings um in the in the, the virtual green room um alex welcome to rail Natter. it's a, an absolute it's a pleasure to have you uh, along um, I don't know if you want to actually introduce yourself. So hopefully everyone watching knows and listening knows who you are, but maybe you want to just introduce yourself anyway.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I'm delighted to be here and thank you for uh, um, inviting me slash agreeing to <laughs> be inviting myself. Um, yeah, so Alex Hines, I'm the Managing Director of Scotland's Railway. and As I'm sure we'll talk about, uh, people might say, well, what does that mean? Uh, and uniquely, uh, I try to be the MD of Scott Rail and the MD of Network Rail Scotland at the same time, uh, which is why I have no hair on the back of my head. <laughs> um, and um, it's, 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 it's a great job uh, and it's quite different from the way we arrange railways elsewhere in the UK.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, hopefully, uh, that leads to better outcomes. Some of which I can talk about
0: tonight. Yeah, for sure. And actually, it's it's, it's a nice leading because I do want to talk um, while I uh, reduce our, the size of our faces down. I want to talk about Scotland's Railway. So uh, yes, this is a a uh, a description of the the system that, that you oversee, but it's also the kind of uh, I wouldn't say brand name. It's the it's the well, I don't know what would you. Say? It's it's the name of a well, of a collection of organisations, right?
1: Indeed. So basically, when I first got the job back in 2017 uh i was appointed to the role of managing director scott rail alliance yes yeah, yeah and no one knew what it was yeah. <laughs> uh and of course what the transport scotland wanted was for ScotRail rail and network rail to work together because the railway is a system yeah and the way it was launched at the time i think some folk in ScotRail rail felt it was a network rail takeover and some people in network rail felt it was a ScotRail rail takeover and um in in my my view was actually this is a railway in scotland what should we call it Mm. scotland railway so scotland's railway is a brand name but it's meant to describe the rail industry in scotland
0: yeah, so if I jump uh, to the next, so I created this slide for anyone, any of the corporate people watching this. Given that I'm sure someone, I'm sure someone in your team is going to be watching this, ready to wince if I say something um, yeah. uh, off-piste. Yeah. So hello, yeah. hello to those of you watching. I'm sorry that uh, it's, uh, Rail Matter is a long-form podcast; you'll get bored by yeah. the end. Um, no, I'm joking. Of course, no, it's going to be riveting. Um, this is the so this is the these are some of the organisations. So I took all these little squares from the website from the Scotland Railways Scotland's railway website, where it kind of lists the different organisations. And so uh, none of these are in. They, this is not a hard. I've done this for graphical purposes. Not, Network Rail is not the lead body, just for the for, just to say this. Is I just Network Rail is the, the the infrastructure one, and then under so you've got Network Rail up here for the infrastructure. Then you've kind of got the statutory bodies and in a way the bosses actually. Well, certainly Transport Scotland and and I suppose Transport Focus to an extent. You could argue they're kind of the client, right, in this situation. They're kind
1: well, of. I think we we regard Transport Scotland as the client and funder.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. One of the reasons why we uh, have an alliance between ScotRail and Network Rail Scotland is because the client, Transport Scotland, believes that the railway is a system, which yeah. of course it is, yeah, 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 and Transport Scotland spend a lot of taxpayers' money with ScotRail and Network Rail Scotland uh, in the interests of the people of Scotland. And one of the things they are good at is creating an environment in which it's easier for track and train to work together. Um, so, uh, for example, on performance, uh, Transport Scotland say to ScotRail, Rail, your target is 92.5 ppm. And they say to Network Rail, your target is 92.5 ppm believe it or not that does not happen south of the border (laughs) where you've got where you've got lots of network rail routes and lots of TOCs and they've all got slightly different performance targets and um, you know my my view is that the the currency of performance is secondary really there's no mileage in arguing about should it be on time or ppm or t t minus three or whatever it's the alignment between track and train which is so powerful
0: well, it's lots like so, lots of benefits you can't reap if you don't connect the dots on that. You know, like, like lighter trains from electrification, yeah. the, 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 you, yeah. you disconnect yeah. those, you don't get the benefits, yeah.
1: So, so you know, um, every four weeks we have our performance improvement executive, which is a joint meeting between Scott Rail and Network Rail, and you can't tell who works for who in that room.
0: Okay, that is good. That, that, that. It,
1: it, it's a bunch of railway folk trying to get
0: the trains to run on time because I, I suppose one so so the headline of this slide so I, I, there is a notable omission that someone's pointed out actually in the chat which i will which i will remind myself of momentarily uh but um but there are a lot of organizations so there can be a challenge in having i think it's 150 organizations within the the the, the group there can be a challenge that it becomes quite difficult to navigate the various commercial boundaries so it you know from describing that room that sounds positive you want to kind of yes, there are lots and lots of organizations, but the reality is it kind of to work best, you consider yourself one organization. It sounds like that culture is is being fostered. Uh,
1: yeah, that that that's the culture we try and create. And I think one of the things that's really improved in recent years is that the suppliers to network rail, their understanding of what the tox and fox want what the fair paying customer wants, what's the Scottish government want. He's really moved on leaps and bounds because we've connected what they do with the purpose of the railway. Yep. So to, today I've done a site visit to the Glasgow to Barhead electrification and we met a number of suppliers, particularly SPL who mm. are our electrification contractor here in Scotland. And they they understand that they're not just putting the wires up because we want to put some wires up. We're putting the wires up because we want to decarbonize our network and we want a faster, greener, more efficient, higher revenue, low cost revenue at the end of it. So when we talk about Scotland's railway, that story is actually quite important. And we deliberately chose two things that people are very proud of, Scotland and the railway. Yeah.
0: And, it's, and it comes back to a point I make a lot, is, is, is that clarity of mission is incredibly important. So one of the reasons why the railway across the whole of the country is still functioning, you know, in, in England, you know, is still functioning despite all the various kind of pressures coming down from Westminster and uh, DFT Treasury and, and and industrial action is the frontline staff kind of do have a fairly straightforward mission of get people safely, comfortably in, uh, uh, on you know on on their train to their destination or or manage disruption accordingly, and um, and the problem I think England's railways have um, is that they're a bit they don't have a, a, a particular mission at the moment. Whereas Scotland and Wales I think both have a, a much clearer picture of the mission is. Part of the broader transport picture, I think, and I actually I do argue the case that Wales are even a little bit further ahead in that because they're considering the you know the integration of various transport modes beyond just just rail uh, in isolation. But um, but yeah, it's good to, it's good to hear that 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 mission. It, it seems like that focus that mission of it's getting bums on seats <laughs> or it's getting you know tons in in wagons. Um, that, that that's that, that's clearly seen. Uh, very before we jump forwards, people have raised rolling stock is. You know, the rolling stock operating companies aren't missing from this structure um yeah. obviously there is a relationship a contractual relationship with the with the roscos with with uh, I, I don't uh, do you have trains from all three of the big roscos yes avonshot angel and um yeah. Uh, yeah yeah okay yeah yeah and Portabrook. okay yeah so i suppose that is a more conventional relationship more in line with the relationship south of the yeah. border as well he,
1: and actually the 385 are owned by a company called Caledonian rail leasing limited so yes that was your slide not mine
0: it is uh, yes all the commercial <laughs> people don't shout out alex or lynn for this it's <laughs> this is my slide um, my slide I
1: think the, the Scotland's railway is meant to be an umbrella brand for all the people who are employed in the business of running the railway in scotland and there's lots of them yeah and, um it it it's it's my job to try and align the people involved, so we can deliver a better railway, and actually, on many measures, we do.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, and and I suppose yeah, you're providing the interface between the operational railway and and the and the policy So the policymakers there, the, the elected, essentially the elected part of of of, of government, going uh, then feeding into Transport Scotland, the, the sort of the Scottish civil service, and they're working out what the what the mission? Is, what the mission is? What the strategy is? And you have to—I I suppose you're then essentially at that interface with the railway, going right. Okay, there's how we're going to actually then deliver that that mission. Yeah.
1: Well, so Transport Scotland obviously is the transport agency for Scotland, mm. um, and Transport Scotland has a transport strategy. Yeah. Uh, it's a
0: remarkable and, thing, everyone listening uh, from England. It's incredible. They've uh, got a strategy for transport. We should we should do uh, that.
1: And that. And 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 that. What what Transport Scotland do is flow through that transport strategy into its delivery partners. Yeah. So that's Network Rail or ScotRail or Sleeper or supply chain or whatever. Um, and so you know, a, a big part of our mission in Scotland right now is decarbonisation, um, because as you quite rightly point out, the planet is literally on fire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually the UK was one of the first big countries in the world to put net zero into legislation, UK net zero 2050 and it's not just the end date which is in legislation so is the trajectory to Mm. get there. Uh, In Scotland it's the same but because we like to beat the English uh, it's uh, Scotland net zero 2045. So similarly uh, so what what that means is that Scotland has got some of the toughest climate change legislation uh, in the world um and that's why we are electrifying our railway but also we need to drive modal shift yes. away from carbon emitting modes so um the, the environment in Scotland is clearer um and and obviously you know it's simpler and Scotland's a bit smaller and uh, the chains of command are a bit shorter um so there is that clarity of purpose yeah comes through strongly here which really helps motivate people and helps explain no we need you to do this because we're trying to achieve that
0: yeah yeah but in a way it's it's still you know it, it's still an excuse for other parts of the country going well it's more complicated here like, so, well actually look at the smaller parts of the country and see how they are delivering that single mission of purpose and maybe Arrange organisations and, and and lines of command to, to match that. But anyway, that's that's not one for either of us to speculate on today. Of course, that's that's uh, that's for next episode. Um, so, one of the questions I had is kind of so that's as an organisational structure. It, it, you know, it, it, it's clearly it, it's clearly functional. So it's not a dysfunctional structure. It's a functional structure. But are there plans for for any change to that structure? That, that you know, are there are there plans for for a, a evolution or, or adaptation of that structure that that, that you can talk about?
1: So. I think the, I think it's probably fair, I think it's probably fairly well accepted that we are going to remain with the current industry structure for a wee while yet.
0: Okay, yeah. Uh,
1: that's fairly well, uh, you know, advertised in terms of Great British Railways and
0: changes. To <laughs> yes, yes.
1: So, so I foresee the next few years as being evolution rather than revolution. And uh, currently, we have this alliance between Scott Rail and Network Rail, but it's rather out of date. And it doesn't really describe particularly uh, what it is that we do.
0: So is that the, as, as in the, the literal contract that, that, that between them? Yeah, OK. is a little dated. And it's a, is it a bit of an alliance in contract from like 10 years ago and not quite it's, in the same way that modern contracts might be.
1: Exactly. So what happened was it was written between Network Rail and Abellio when Abelio yeah, were... Yeah bidding and mobilizing for the franchise back in 2014-2015 time. I inherited it. Uh, we never changed the alliance agreement and the alliance has had ups and downs and it's had high points and low points. And, you know, we've had deep alliances and sha- more shallow alliances mm. uh, over time. Um, and uh, when Scottish Rail Holdings was created, which is the body which now owns Scott Rail, Scottish Rail Holdings were very keen to keep the alliance between track and train because they thought the railway was a system. Mm -hmm. Uh, And all we did was novate the alliance agreement over. So um, Scott Rail and Network Rail have now agreed to rewrite that alliance agreement so we can be clear on these are the things that we're going to work on together because it makes sense, Mm -hmm. e.g. journey time, uh, performance, uh, decarbonisation and then by by deduction you know these are the things that we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna work on together because there's no value in working on together so um, my predecessor went round integrating lots of bits of scott rail and network rail and it's fair to say it didn't work out very well and when I arrived what I did was consciously uncouple some bits of the alliance because it just wasn't working Uh, and so um, you know what you know, people in network rail don't need to know about ScotRail it policy do they um <laughs> they remain separate companies and therefore it's very difficult to integrate things like hr so um all the all the back of house stuff is all kept separate yeah okay um and what we're interested in is the magic in the middle between track and train working and that's where i try and spend most of my time um, I've got a brilliant chief operating officer in ScotRail called Joan Maguire. She joined on the 1st of April next year. She runs ScotRail day to day. I've got a brilliant route director in Scotland uh, called Liam Sumter. He's the route director for Network House Scotland. He runs the route day to day. And I try and focus my time on getting the system to work.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that, that actually quite neatly leads us into the next sort of bit then. Is, what does that look like? <laughs> you know, what, 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 so, you know, a week in the life, as it were. I've used a week in the life, but actually, just more broadly, what does your kind of time look like? You know, what people are kind of curious, what what keeps you busy? I suppose, you know, I, I round out with the question later on, but we've got a few um, – shout out to Lynn, by the way. Thanks, Lynn, for for helping organize this and sending through some pictures. Um, we've got some images um, of some of the shenanigans you, you, you've been getting up to. So I don't know if you want to, to kind of um, walk and talk us through yeah. some, of these, some of these various um, – tell us a little stories um, behind each of these images
1: yeah I mean I guess the um, you know I I'm I'm in essence sort of the fact controller in Scotland really and um, you said it
0: not me I'm just you know I try I try and, <laughs> try and,
1: I, try and um, I try and divide my time between Scott rail and network rail equally so that's the first thing that I do. So, when I'm in Glasgow where Scott Rail and Lower Rail are based, I flip between the two offices so I can be visible in both organizations, and we'll come back to visibility later. Um, but of course, um, at this level, what you do is you find that you end up talking for a living uh, rather than doing work because you surround yourself with brilliant people who do the work for you. Uh, and of course, one of the slightly strange things about this job is uh, in Scotland, you're a public figure. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, you know, when I was the managing director of Northern, I was a nobody in England. But actually doing this job in, in Scotland, you become a public figure and therefore you end up doing quite a bit of media and having your picture taken. Um, So I'm not quite sure why Lynn sent you these pictures, but I knew she was sending them to... Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Very lucky to be well-supported. But um, one of the things that uh, is great about this job is we have a lot of rail heritage assets in Scotland. So um, we have a heritage strategy for Scotland's Railway. Mm. And every so often we meet with Rail Heritage Trust uh and talk about that uh, heritage strategy um the you know br demolished a lot of its heritage assets uh and because scotland was a long way from london uh br didn't get around to demolishing quite so much in scotland so we got got <laughs> <other laughs> heritage assets and uh andy savage i was gonna say uh, andy in the middle there right it, off the yeah. middle yeah so he he we normally do quite well at the Rail Heritage Awards and he said, you know, we're handing out the trophies. Will you join us for the day? And uh, Andy and I had a brilliant day together uh, the other week. And we went to Stirling Station and we did a Rail Heritage Award because we did a renewal of the roof there, yes. which was an award. Uh, we then went to Queen Street Station and that won an award and because of the work that we had done on the Victorian columns. And then we went out. This is a slightly strange one this picture so this was an award for Scottish canals who had taken an old railway viaduct and sort of turned it into an active travel corridor above a, a, a harbour a place called bowling just off the Clyde and and mm, okay. you know I went around traveling trains all day and of course the brilliant thing about it is you spend the whole day talking to staff you spend the whole day travelling on trains, maybe to bits of the network that you don't normally travel. Uh, on. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you you get as as you know you get to feel uh, the product and see whether it's any good or not. And you know, apart from dividing my time between ScotRail and Network Rail, the other thing that I try and do is spend you know twenty percent of my week on the network checking yeah. the railway that I think I'm running is the railway that I am running. So you know, I've spent the whole afternoon um, between Glasgow and Barhead visiting the electrification programme. We've currently got the railway closed. Uh, We're in a blockade type scenario, we don't like using the B word. Um, (laughs) But uh, we have a closure of the railway to allow us to do break the back of that electrification programme. And you just learn so much about your business. And, you know, you talked about how much time you spend in emails, doing emails and going to meetings and talking to people. I, I don't think people in this industry spend nearly enough time uh, on the front line talking to people. And I include myself in that um, because um, your the colleagues you meet will tell you for free how to improve the railway. Yeah, You just have to, <laughs> yeah, you just have, you just have to listen to them and act on it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean yeah, we will definitely pick up on the on the on that point of, you know, that, that balance. So you talk about Stirling, you alluded to Stirling. I think this is a picture from Stirling. you got Bill yeah. in the background so, there. So,
1: um, I mean. Stirling, yeah. by
0: the way, but just, just to bookend, the Stirling, uh, the coldest station on planet earth. I only say that because I used to change trains there when I would go up, I used, when I was studying at Edinburgh, I used to go up to the Scottish Highlands. Occasionally, if we were going up the uh, the Highland main line rather than up the, the West Coast, uh, we'd change trains in Stirling. And it'd be like, you know, it'd be like February the 3rd. And uh, <laughs> we'd be sat, sat maybe with our bicycles on the platform with just this wind blowing through. There's a wind that blows through Stirling Station that, that seem, it seems yeah. unique. It is. Yeah. It's, it's, an, yeah. it's an impression. But it's a fantastic station. It's a really interesting station. Um, uh, uh, so, yeah, tell, tell us a bit about Stirling. I see here. It is. Um, yeah.
1: Well, it, it seems to me that ever since I've been doing this job, I've, we've been working on Stirling Station. So <laughs> for a start, we electrified the railway through there. Yes. Uh, and now you can get modern uh fabulous electric trains between sterling and edinburgh and glasgow uh, in a way that you know you couldn't before and then we've upgraded the station but um the person in the middle of the photo is fiona hislop and she's the transport minister uh in the scottish government and uh, she's my sixth transport minister in six years Mm. uh, which is an interesting dynamic yep Um, fiona is great because she's a big supporter of rail because her constituency is lynn lithgow so she's yeah. got the main the yeah. Glasgow main line going through her constituency, and she's also got Airdrie Bathclay. And she was there to open the redevelopment of uh, the Stirling forecourt. And this is part of, we didn't just do up the station uh, and improve it. What we've done is we've created uh, an environment where we want people to use active travel to get to the station. So, you know, the first thing you used to come out is see a taxi rank and a road, Yeah,
0: yeah, in the car park. Yeah, yeah.
1: And that's all being pushed back, and we've created tons of fabulous uh, walking, wheeling, and cycling space. Uh, most people actually travel to Scott rail stations by walking. And if we're going to decarbonise transport, we don't just want to decarbonise rail operations, we don't just want to decarbonise, we don't just want to deliver a modal shift. We want people to travel to the station on zero carbon modes, but they're only going to do that if you uh, create attractive places to be. So I don't know whether you've ever been to Copenhagen uh, and see how the Danes do cycling.
0: Yeah, I think Simon, uh, Zev Kendler, who lived there for a while, is in the chat and he did a presentation. He he, he was on an episode and showed us some of the fantastic uh, Copenhagen facilities. And yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. (laughs)
1: You know, in in Denmark, they have these these cargo bikes and people will drop their kids off at school on a bike on the way into the office. And what that means is uh, in order to encourage that cycling, you need much better and bigger cycle parking. So one of the reasons why this project is significant was it was the first time we provided cycle storage at the stations for these big bikes, uh, which are you know part of encouraging people to to deliver active yeah, it's, travel.
0: Yeah it, it's reassuring to hear the railway acknowledging those bigger, you know the non-standard
1: yeah. bicycles exist. And one of, one of the things we have in Scotland of course is we have uh, the Scottish government uh, SNP uh, led um is in a cooperation agreement with the Greens. And obviously the Greens are very keen on greening the economy and greening transport and uh You know, that's good for us because the Greens love railways. Um, But the active travel budget in Transport Scotland has gone through the roof and you will see Transport Scotland investing more in these active travel schemes. And what we need to do in the railway is recognise that this is not really about railways. This is about, you know, moving people and goods from A to B in a decarbonised fashion.
0: It's like, there's an interesting stat only because there's a legal case being brought at the moment in England that, that uh, in Scotland currently there's 58 pounds a head being spent on on active travel um it's one pound per head in England outside of London so that's um yeah something that Scotland could be quite pleased about is is that that's a decent level of and the thing is that is ultimately investment in roads I don't know people don't realize it but it is so long as you've got the measures to then not allow induced demand onto the roads you are freeing up roads for those who have to drive. So there are benefits for absolutely all road users by by making this stuff better. Anyway, so Sterling, um, good, to, good to see that sort of thing going on. So. Yeah, I mean, this is central. Uh, yeah. so with,
1: with my with my network rail hat on, uh, Andrew Haynes is my boss. And um, one of the things Andrew does really well is he does spend a lot of time uh, on the front line talking to people, but also traveling around the country. And actually, when Andrew Haynes worked for First Group, he was actually the chair of um, ScotRail, because ScotRail was a First Group owned business at the time. So Andrew really gets Scotland, which is which is great. And um, so last week I got the job of hosting the Network Rail executive leadership team uh, in uh, Glasgow. uh, And we had um, our first day was at Glasgow Central Station, so we didn't meet in some posh boardroom. Uh, we actually met in a vacant tenancy on the first floor at Glasgow Central yeah. Station for our away day. It happened to be Tim Shoveler's leaving due that night, hence the oh, yeah. pit Tim Yeah. Tim Shoveler. He's off to join in Genesee and Wyoming, who own Freightliner. And then the following day, we had our regular executive leadership team meeting uh, in the... Um, in a meeting room at Edinburgh Waverley Station, so I was quite proud of that because, again, one of the things we're trying to do is turn the railway upside down. So if we spend more time on the shop floor talking to the, to the people who are running the railway whilst we're talking about it, then then we'll make the railway better. Um, you know, you can't run a railway from the boardroom.
0: Yeah, yeah. It also, sparks a secondary thought in my head, which is it'd be lovely to have some hireable space actually in the state. If, you know, in some of those empty tenancies. I know it's probably not the most cost-effective way to have that that um, that real estate, but um, it'd be lovely to hold meetings with the with that window view out across Glasgow Central Concourse. It'd be really nice. Uh, there you are. There's 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 one for the for the the Scotrail um uh, the Network Rail real estate team. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Exactly.
0: yeah. Um. So this is a very mysterious image that we've been sent through Mm. but it is of some infrastructure tell us about this
1: yeah so of course i i've spent most of my railway career on the passenger side okay um so i've worked for three train operating companies so i only started getting exposed to the infrastructure actually when i moved to scotland six years ago Uh, and if i'm honest with you you know i'm still learning Um, can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can still yeah. hear you. There was a bit of a uh, glitch, but you're grand. And, um, the, the, the person in the picture is uh, a lady called Lindsay Hunter and she is the root asset manager for signaling, uh, in Scotland. And she said to me, I've got all my signal engineers together for a day. Will you come and talk to us? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Happy with that. So I felt a little bit of, like a fish out of water, uh, <laughs> But Lindsay is doing an amazing job of making sure that these very, very clever signal engineers know know what it is we're trying to do with our railway. So uh, at the moment, uh, I'm banging the drum on what are the strategic priorities for Scotland's railway. uh, And there are five of them. Number one, everyone home safe every day. Number two, to reduce the net cost of the railway. Number three is to deliver net zero. Number four is to run a reliable railway. And number five is for track and train to work together. And I talked to this audience about that. That is what we are trying to do with our railway, because uh, if we're not all clear on the strategic priorities, sometimes people can say, I'd like some money, please. Um, to spend on this bit of the railway and it's uh, assets, condition-related renewal. And I go, that's really interesting. Why do I need that in my life? What does it do to improve safety? What does it do to improve revenue, journey time, cost, performance? Have we spoken to the train operating companies and the freight operating companies sufficiently on this project? And Lindsay's doing a brilliant job of making sure that our engineering is focused on the outcome rather than engineering for engineering's sake. And um, as you know, we've just completed a massive renewal of the railway at Carstairs Junction, which uh, has been delivered very, very well. Um, But the price of it was still reassuringly expensive. Yeah. there's, Uh, There's
0: nothing you could do cheaply at Carstairs, in fairness. And...
1: Indeed. But, you know, what what's interesting is that the network rail folk in Scotland are saying, do you know what? We could have done a better job. We could have done a better job um, by, um, you know, challenging standards earlier, um, by perhaps not complying with, you know, uh, every single dotted I and cross T in terms of requirement um you know one of the reasons why the railway costs so much is often we're spending someone else's money and if it was our own money you know we perhaps wouldn't do that and so um you know questions like why do we still install signal post telephones for example uh now we've got gsmr and lots of train drivers have um other forms of communication tablets Well yeah, it's
0: definitely. What I have to agree with that. It's always seemed a little archaic and, to me as a as a P way engineer. Yeah,
1: and so and so one of the uh, the big renewal in the next control period is Perth. Yeah, and we we are we are keen that we learn the lessons of car stairs because if we're going to survive as a railway, we need to drive down the unit cost of what we do. Because um, particularly in a nationalised railway, we're competing with nurses and doctors and schools and hospitals and all that stuff. And if we can't express what it is we do in language that the public will understand, we we won't get their money.
0: I think that's the key thing, isn't it? Because it's 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 expressing the value. Because it's it's easy to fall into the trap of 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 making out that it's a competition, but it's about expressing that that value. So, in, it, certainly for the rest of Network Rail outside of Scotland, there's a serious challenge with with delivering sig- resignalling volumes. I know it's a bit of a techie question. Yeah. Um, to what extent is Scotland embracing ETCs and the and the kind of if you like the the the, the infrastructure light version of of, of resignalling, mm. um, or is it or are you in a slightly different place in terms of where signal renewal n- numbers are? Uh, I, I know it's a bit of a fiddly question, but basically, it, it, is signalling mm. as much of a challenge for you in Scotland as it is in the rest of the Network Rail system?
1: Well, signalling is a big challenge, um, because it's too expensive. Um, And obviously, um, you know, we're still using semaphore to control some parts of our railway, which has been around since 1840. Yeah and signalling is so expensive we can't actually afford to renew semaphore for modern equivalent because it's too it's too pricey yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, what we have done in scotland is we developed our own signaling strategy called signaling scotland's future and we have uh, attempted to uh, you know have a sort of market-based signaling strategy because um you know we're not going to be able to put modern s- signaling everywhere for the prices that it costs currently um we don't believe that uh, centralisation in one location uh, f- for signaling for the whole of scotland is the right answer which i believe it was uh, at one point uh, so we're going to focus on eight locations across the country and then on digital railway I think it's fair to say there's a healthy dose of scepticism around digital railway uh, in in Scotland Um, and you know we will be looking to see whether we can use ETCS for example on the metro bits of our railway e.g. the Argyle lines in the uh, Glasgow area but of course um, it's got mm-hmm. value. Like
0: it has to add, and I think it's well, right to challenge so, that. To be honest, it has to add value, so, doesn't it?
1: So, so unless it makes the railway safer, unless it improves performance, and unless it reduces the net cost of the railway, why do I want it in my life? yeah
0: i have to i do have to agree with that logic um like i think there are places you know for example the thameslink core and and as you say equally in the glasgow the, the, the central railway core within glasgow where you do have very high frequencies you know you have a, a high uh, an environment where that that digital signalling may well be adding value elsewhere not so much and i i remember the rollout on cambrian railways and and I, yeah i dare say why would you replace the the radio Token block that you have that works really fantastically on Scotland's rural railways. That it's a cheap system that works very well. I don't mm. see the value in replacing that. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's not an unreasonable stance to take. I think. Um,
1: I think. I think. I think. The other thing is, you know, what about charter operators? What about the Jacobite? What about freight? Yeah. Um, you know, these are really important parts of the railway in Scotland. Um, so yeah i I remember you know a number of years ago these suppliers would come to me and say oh we've done this in switzerland and we've done this in denmark and i've said you know well what benefits did it deliver and to be honest they struggled to articulate them um so obviously we're we're staying close to the east coast digital program and uh, i was recently at the lner driver simulator at edinburgh waverley where uh, the network rail team and lner team took me through the the changes so uh, we're we're watching developments in this area and and we will steal with pride but we'll only yeah. do what's what what's appropriate for Scotland
0: yeah uh, to be honest i think that's a pretty good uh, uh, i have to agree with that as a pretty pragmatic approach given the complexity and the delay you know etcs has been rumbling on and you know people stepping in and out when we both so joined i was like okay maybe this might start moving again and then david Roboso stepped away and i was like oh maybe it's going to slow down again and it's good to see there is progress in down at the bottom end of um, of the east coast Mainline, but it's it's steady away and and yeah i have to agree with particularly in scotland where the, the, some of the economies of scale perhaps for the likes of the freight operators don't exist i think it's yeah it's right to have that skepticism so um the last little picture we got sent through from lynn <laughs> is um you're grinning, partly because there's whiskey there. I haven't had a drop. I haven't had a drop of alcohol since before Christmas because I've had a little one and been preoccupied. Um, so I, I'm get quite I'm get quite thirsty seeing that fine looking whiskey. Go on, tell tell. This is you telling us about well, home, I think, isn't I, it?
1: I, I, I thought that would be a reason to drink rather than not drink. But anyway, um, I, I don't have kids. Um, the um, so one of the best things uh, about my job, apart from the fact that you know. I get to lead two great organisations and, you know, by and large, we're doing good things and we're in good shape, although we can always be better, is that I get to live in Scotland. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, right? living, in, living in Scotland is one of the best kept secrets. And um, when I first moved to Scotland, I lived in Edinburgh and commuted every day to Glasgow. And um, I did a lot, well, quite a few people did. When COVID hit, was, well, I, moved, I moved house and I moved further away from the office. So mm. I actually live uh, at Loch Tay. Um, oh. and, and my nearest town is Aberfeldy. My home station is Pitlochry, Yeah. And um, it is a wonderful, wonderful place to live. If you dropped a pin in the middle of Scotland, um, you would uh, find yourself probably a Munro near... Shehalyon. Schall- <laughs> exactly, yeah. which is just north of me. And of course, you know, sometimes people from south of the border get to Glasgow and Edinburgh and they think, oh, crikey, you know, that's a long way, isn't it?
0: And I always <laughs> say, yeah,
1: but I live two hours north from here yeah. and then I can drive north for five hours from my house and not reach the tip of Scotland. <laughs> so um, I think uh, it's easy to dismiss. I, I heard someone who will remain nameless say, Oh, da, 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 the Cornish branches and Scotland. And I was saying, You are having a laugh, aren't you? I said, This is a huge country. It's a third of Britain's landmass. Okay, and only five million people live in Scotland, about the population of Yorkshire. Um, but uh, it also happens to have 10% of Europe's coastline, which I find. Uh, did not know that.
0: Statistic. That's a great fact. I did not know that.
1: That's an amazing statistic. Uh,
0: what, what's um, what, what's quite interesting about that, and I, I just on that throwaway comment always winds me up, because, you, you know, yes, you have the extreme rural, but, you know, the railway through, we alluded to the railway through Glasgow. It's kind of one of the most sort of um, metrified-looking bits of railway yeah. in the whole of the UK, right? Through, through, yeah. through low levels at, so, at Queen
1: Street and Central. Exactly. So, I mean, a lot of the low-level railway in Glasgow, of course, is is a metro, really. Mm. Uh, And there are opportunities to make it more of a metro. Um, But we do rural, we do metro, we do intercity, we do scenic, uh, we do lifeline services. We do absolutely everything, you know, colleagues at Sleeper do Sleeper. So. The suburban rail network in Glasgow is the largest suburban rail network of any city in Britain uh, outside London. Mm.
0: Yeah and it's it's that so that I mean before we before we uh, move on from uh, Lochte, it's a gorgeous part of the country I've cycled uh, so I've do, I did Chihallion by getting the train to Pitlochry which is quite a nice way to do it you do a little bike have a little bicycle ride up from Lockery, which is nice um, but also cycled uh, another recommendation for cycling uh, you might have done this actually is to get the tr- get off the train at at, at station Mm. and cycled down to pitlockery actually i cycled then from pitlockery up over to um, to montrose as well to do full full coast to coast but um that's a, it, it, it's mostly downhill from Rannoch to pitlockery which is nice um, uh, <laughs> through your back garden i guess which is it's, yeah it's it's a pretty lovely part of the country pressure um, it and, is lovely, uh, and yes, Aberfeldy, yeah, the whiskey, and and so. On. Anyway, we could talk about whiskey, but this is ostensibly a railway podcast, a transport podcast. So, um, we've talked about this already, so I don't need to really dwell much on this. But you've talked about the fact you try and spend, uh, you, you said you try and spend twenty percent of your time on trains uh, and on the network and on stations and and talking to staff. So, you know, how much? So, so, is your time sort of split that way? Do you find yourself? you know is is it is it like 20 40 40 where 40% of your time you're out, out out and about 20% on trains and then the the kind of 40% on the on the pc catching up with emails so I mean, what's what's kind of the
1: split well i mean i am incredibly uh, fortunate because i'm very well supported so you know i've spent 6 years surrounding myself with brilliant people and uh, i'm quite good at delegating to them uh, someone said to the to someone said to me once you know You've got the slippiest desk in the industry. Um I I spend a lot of time upwards and outwards talking to staff, talking to stakeholders, talking to customers, talking to politicians, talking to government, talking to suppliers. And so I can't be doing and talking at the same time. And obviously, you know, Lynn who's on holiday in Italy, who's provided you with those slides, she actually monitors my inbox. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I am I'm very, very fortunate uh, in that respect. So um, I hate email. Um, I don't produce much work myself. Uh, I spend a lot of time reviewing other people's work. Um, but I spend most of my time in, in meetings with sort of... Uh, the senior folk in the railway but also people are outside yeah the, the railway um so you know
0: which makes sense because you, you are essentially the single point of accountability for for the railway system that that's kind of that's one of the pressures of your role right is that you are to all intents and purposes that single point of accountability so you you're representing yeah. the system to to the politicians a, a, a fair amount of your time i suppose and and
1: so since the network rail r and dispute was resolved back in, uh, was it March? Mm. Um, yeah. You know, we've been industrial action free north of the border, which, as I said earlier, is a brilliant place to be. And that means we've got a bit more time um, so we can focus on those strategic priorities rather than sort of, you know, fighting, fighting fires. So, you know, for example, this morning, I had a one to one with the chairman of Scott Rail, uh, I then had a one-to-one with Liam Sumter, who's the route director for Network Rail in Scotland. And you know, train performance is good right now in Scotland, but it's behind target. Mm. And so, you know, we we had a you know, we had a really challenging conversation about how we how we how we change that because we're funded to deliver ninety-two point five percent PPM and this morning we were at eighty-nine point four percent PPM. And for the last few months, we've did, been delivering around about ninety-two and a half percent. But of course, we're funded to deliver it around the performance year, not just in the good periods. Uh, so we're going to have to do some different things uh, if we're going to improve our train service performance. So, um, you know, one of my jobs is to get people focused on the delivery of targets because that's what we're funded yeah. to do. Um, um, just, I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't spend any time working uh, on my laptop producing work. I don't spend any time doing that at all because it's all done for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. your role is to essentially appoint people to do that and and, and appoint the right team. Um, Just as as a jargon point, we're all guilty of it, Alex and I both as railway people. Uh, PPM is um, public performance measurement, and it's kind of a measurement of um, how close to within five minutes of arrival time a train is, I think, to all intents and purposes, It's a little more sophisticated than that. But that's basically what it is. Um, I'm going to jump us forward because we've got a couple of quicker things to talk about before we before we close out. Do do send in your questions, everyone, by the way, and I'll scoop through some at the end very briefly. We talked actually very pleasingly. You talked about this in a way that made me very happy because there, particularly in Scotland, there has been some discussion. I've actually in my day job, I've I've engaged with it in some cases where some of the language around decarbonisation targets looked more like just taking the carbon out of trains rather than thinking bigger about r- rail mm. no matter how it's powered and its role to drive modal shift but in, in what you've said already and some of your answers you've it's it's clear that you 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 have that vision of no no it's about moving people away from any mm. mode of transport that is is carbon producing mm. um mm. So so yeah, I thought I thought first we could talk. Uh, there's a lot of people asking for you to just sort of say, you know, where you feel progress is at on the on the the the, the decarbonisation action plan. Mm. Um, so maybe, maybe a little bit of an update on yeah. that first.
1: Yeah. So obviously, uh, COVID hit in March 2020, and in July 2020, when we were sort of re-emerging from our spare bedrooms, the Scottish government launched its rail services decarbonisation action plan, and what that said was. We want to remove all diesel vehicles from the Scott Rail network by 2035, which, of course, was a fabulous uh, commitment. Um, and as we sit here today, we are on-site uh, electrifying the railway between Glasgow and Barhead. Mm. We are on-site electrifying the railway between Glasgow and Kill Kilbride. And we are already um, undertaking works between uh, Stirling and Aberdeen uh, pre-electrification. We're in the middle of a £120 million power supply upgrade across the yeah. network in advance of electrification. We're taking bridges down already between Central Belt and Aberdeen in advance of electrification. Um, but of course, the, the big challenge is the fiscal environment. Yeah. So um, for, for many years, you know, the railway in Scotland has been really well funded, shall we say. Uh, which is one reason why we've been able to achieve the things we've been able to achieve. Uh, But obviously, you know, governments north and south of the border are sort of feeling the the post-COVID sobering up uh, in terms of um, money. So we have a government who want us to decarbonise the railway, who love what we do, uh, and in fact, you'll see with the statement of funds available by Transport Scotland, uh, you know, £4.2 billion commitment to the operations, maintenance and renewal of the infrastructure in Scotland for the next control period. That was actually more than we were expecting. Mm. We were expecting less. Uh, We got more, which is is brilliant. That decarbonisation action plan we are reviewing this year uh, because that plan said it should be refreshed every three years. We're doing that this year. So the folk at ScotRail and Network Rail, Scottish Rail Holdings and Transport Scotland, are in the process of refreshing that strategy, despite the fact that money is tight, and 2035 is not very far away at all in railway terms. My understanding is the politicians, you know, are pretty firm on 2035. Mm. So um, those discussions are underway, and what I don't want to do is I don't want the railway to be the passive receiver of what the politicians decide to invest in, we can influence that decision. So if we drive down the unit cost of electrification, the politicians will buy more of it. And uh, here in Scotland, we're electrifying railways for about two million per single-track kilometre. And we we talk about the all-in price. So we focus on the price the customer pays Sometimes when people talk about the cost of electrification, they just focus on the overhead line. Yeah, they pull out
0: the structures, they I pull go, out the admin. They, yeah, I know yeah.
1: That, but putting the wires up—that's the easy bit. It's yeah. the bridges, the tunnels, and the gauging, and God knows what else. It's the civil engineering. On well, most of our electrification projects, most of the spend is on civils rather yeah. than electrification. So we focus on the all-in price. In other parts of the UK, electrification is being done at about three million per single track kilometre, so fifty percent more. And um, obviously, again, our environment is simpler to track a railway, lower speed, et cetera. So there are some key differences as to why we're cheaper. But one of the reasons why we're cheaper is we've done more of it and we've learned by doing.
0: Yeah, yeah it's true. And it's, there's no avoiding the fact that volume helps you know, have. And, and in fact, when we had a conversation, when I interviewed you and, and, and some of your colleagues about uh, the sparks effect in Scotland, God knows how many years ago it was we had that chat, but um, it was for Pete and Rail and we talked about this rolling and there was a little there was a little bit of a steadying of that of that rolling plan, but you're still got the same like, by and large, you're staffing delivering electrification of the same people who've built that experience up since since some of the West Coast updates in, in the two thousands. And so, so you do have a lot of that skills embedded in Scotland in a way that perhaps isn't the case south of the border, which is good, which is helpful and helps drive those unit costs down, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, uh, these projects all don't don't always go brilliantly. You know, six years ago when I arrived, Edinburgh Glasgow electrification was in flight, and it was late and over budget, and mm-hmm. it was a complete nightmare. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you learn those lessons, you apply them to the next one, you learn those lessons, you apply them to the next one. And this is one of the things that I say to the supply chain, because they say, when are you going to give us the money so we can electrify more railways? And I say, well, when you give us lower prices. And that's not about lower prices, me squeezing their margin, because, you know, they're not on huge huge margins anyway. This is about being efficient. So, for example, um, you know, uh, on the site that I saw today, a lot of the the masts have all the equipment um, fitted to the mast, the electrification paraphernalia on the ground and the mast is erected once and then it's all done, ready for the wiring train. The way we used to do it is we used to put up the steelwork and then we used to revisit the steelwork six times, putting the electrification yes. system in, yeah. uh, which was slow, it was expensive, it was less safe, et cetera, et cetera. So the more we're doing electrification, the more we learn how to productionise it. Yeah. Yep. Which is critical,
0: um, and yeah, and, 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 and you've had you know you had the PwI conference talking about electrification, which is good. I know that, that so pushing on 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 reducing costs and and south of the border, everyone talks about Scotland as being the the jewel, as like the aspiration of like of, of what that is. But the reality is is that there's there's still plenty to be done from your perspective as well. I, I want to now push and say that it's not just putting wires up and and changing the traction units within trains. There's also, as you alluded to, it's 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 doing what you can to pull people off the rest of the transport system that's maybe more polluting. So um, to that end, is um, uh, running in the background. We can talk about Leven, which is a, a new bit mm. of railway being built, which is fantastic. It's really good to see that new a new what will end up being a pr- quite well used bit of railway, I would suspect, uh, given its mm. you know given the population density through the area. Mm. Mm is well, about capacity I mean, if... enhancement, but yeah, so so yeah, a, a brief a word on leave, and definitely, but also about the future of of of, mm. of enhancing capacity. So I know we can talk about new lines, and I know there's lots yeah. of people asking about bucking lines and CNER in, in the chat. Yeah. Hello to those people. But yeah, maybe you want to talk about capacity and, and, and driving people onto the railways and, and how that looks.
1: Yeah, so I mean, obviously, the way we drive people onto railways is to deliver an attractive service. At reasonable costs. You know, let's face it. Most passengers care about two things: punctuality and price. Yeah, right. And punctuality in in Scotland uh, is good enough for it not to be in the headlines. Uh, most people get a good journey. Uh, we're behind target. We need to make it better, but it's not at a level which it's deterring people to travel.
0: Not transparent Express. So
1: yeah. Um, um. Well, no comment. Yeah. Um, so the the but price is the other key factor so uh, in october in ScotRail, uh, we are going to abolish bull peak fares for six months yes and we're gonna, i forgot and we're gonna, about this trial uh, yes and and, and, uh, and we're going to see what happens mm. and n- n- the honest answer is nobody knows what's going to happen and it is one of the most exciting boldest things that yeah. i've ever been involved with as a railway and i can't wait to see what the reaction will be Uh, And again, that's a massive commitment by the Scottish government. Uh, We want more people to travel by train, but some people find it a bit pricey and the peak business is down 40 percent. So we've got some uh, capacity which used to be full of passengers and now isn't because people are working from home. So let's make it cheaper and see what happens. Mm. And that's what we're going to do in October. Uh, so that's brilliant 6
0: months so, is also good because it's long enough that you'll like if it was 3 months it's not quite long enough that you'll maybe embed a few behaviours so 6 months is quite a bold commitment yeah. to but, it, but it's it's also going to give you a chance to have a good you know a, a reasonably robust
1: test of what it changes in terms of behaviours yes. I think and and actually evaluation of that trial is a really big part big part of the project because obviously we've got to decide before the end of the trial whether we want to carry on with it, that would yeah. be a decision for Scottish ministers because you know politicians control rail fares. And I don't to. think
0: it's unreasonable. If you get three months in and it's it's causing an enormous black hole of revenue, then I don't think it's unreasonable to to reevaluate yeah. that. Yeah. I think that's quite yeah. a reasonable yeah. stance
1: to take. Yeah, but, yeah. But you know, the Scottish government are, are giving us fifteen million pounds to um, deliver the trial. You know, hopefully, it will prove to be a loss leader. um and what i've said to the team is let's try and get to the break even point as fast as we can um obviously in scotland the borders railway was opened in 2015 uh, which was the you know biggest bit of new railway to open in britain for over 100 years uh, and that's been a a phenomenal success and now we're opening a new uh, railway Uh, it was an old railway reinstating it to to leaving in fife and one of the great things about working in scotland is um You know we get stuff done, and you know we can deliver these projects in the sort of life cycle of a managing director, as it were. So, uh, one of the great people in Team Scotland is Bill Reeve, the director of Rail Transport Scotland, and he 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 said, he said to me, he said, you know, we're thinking of building a railway in Leavenmouth. Do you want to go out one afternoon and we'll go and have a look? And I said, yeah, okay, that sounds fun. Um, and, uh, we hired the Transport Scotland electric car, uh, and we went electric into Fife, you know, you know, tromping around fields and old railway elements uh, in Leven and, and Cameron Bridge, and, uh, we, we ended the day back at Linlithgow, which is where Bill lives, um, and I got to experience at first hand range anxiety, um. And, uh, of course, like all good railway do's, we ended up in the pub. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he said, you know, should we build this railway? And, and now we're building it. Yeah. And this is going to transform the life chances of the people who work in that part, uh, live and work in that part of Scotland. This is not about the rail, sleeper and ballast. It's not about the no, trains. No, 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 it's right? not about the platforms. This is about connecting... Um, part of um, Scotland to one of the most prosperous and most successful cities in Europe, i.e. Edinburgh. And so whether it's for tourism or for studying or for, you know, health appointments or a job or, you know, it's just going to be amazing. Um, and there's some um, massive
0: employers that people don't realise. There, it's not that this, this is isn't a backwater. There's there's several major population centres along this bit of bit of line. The, you know, Diageo is as an enormous employer very close to the yeah. to, to the line. Uh, they make a lot of whiskey. Everyone. Um, yeah. So th- this is a key thing. I, it's it's really important. It's exciting that there is that vision as you say and I this is a, a lot of people potentially think I'm, I'm all for the, the railways But the, no, the railways merely facilitate what the railways about is creating communities and enhancing communities and connecting communities And, and yeah. I, I, it's reassuring to hear you talk the way you are because the way you're talking Suggests that you you're not necessarily close-minded about a potential future changes to the way the railway map looks if if the right You know if if the right case exists
1: so uh, I mean we're opening new stations, obviously East Linton, yeah. Reston. We've got we just opened Maness Airport, and so because Scottish people love their railway and love what it does, they want more. They want they want their station. They want a new line. Now, ultimately, that is a decision for politicians. Yes. for politicians, you know, control the money tap. My job is to try and do the very best job we can to reduce the net cost of the railway. So we can make the railway more affordable, so that when politicians say, I do want to buy a new station, we do it for 15 million quid rather than 25. When they say, I want to buy more electrification, we do it for two rather than three. And when they say, I want to open a new line, we do it at a reasonable cost um so that's that's our job is to try and be a dependable delivery partner but for the scottish government in in the delivery of its objectives
0: but on top of that so you're not made nervous by the idea of extended railway just being another line of of red another line of eating into your bottom line you don't you don't see railway expansion in that light do you? you're you not you don't see it as a threat well, to, 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 to in that sense you, you do see it as an opportunity to grow revenue well,
1: potentially in, in, in my you know the, the the railway in Scotland uh, requires subsidy. Yeah, yep. Uh, you know, £2 of subsidy for every pound taken through the fare box revenue. So, you know, this is not about making money. This is about the social and economic yes. benefits which are created by a railway. Uh, and so, yes, we need to. At the moment, we're we're growing revenue as fast as we can because that's the best way we can uh, that's the best thing we can do to reduce the net cost of the railway. Yeah. And as I said earlier, our revenue growth at the moment is thirty three percent year on year, which is brilliant. Um, so um, we, you know we don't want to make thumping losses, but railways are not about making money. Railways is about what railways
0: do. And enabling everything else, and, and the challenge is to is to allow politicians to see the the value being grown. And I think in Scotland the benefit is that you know with borders having opened, they can see the economic value because the the the, the communities along that route are thriving. And I and I, yeah. I strongly suspect that will quite quickly happen along this route as well. I'm conscious of time. I'm going to push push us on. Um, uh, obviously there's, there's 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 a question about trains because. That people want to know about that and um, the first thing I want mm. to do is th- these have been running for not, not this this is obviously a model but the um, the uh, the mm. the reconditioned 153s uh, the, mm. the, the bicycle coaches have been running for a while now um, how firstly what's what's the from from your side of the business well, have they been a success are you happy with them uh, do, do, have they done well, what you hope they would
1: well yes because the you know the customer and stakeholder reaction has been absolutely extraordinary mm. And we worked with Cycling Scotland on the design of these carriages Uh, and, you know, they've really helped uh, decongest uh, our routes in the West Highlands. You know, the trains can get a bit busy with luggage and bikes and mountaineering equipment and and whatnot. So um, we've just recently increased the number of routes on which uh, they run. Uh, here in Scotland, we're about to host the uh, UCI Cycling Championships. Yes, yeah. Uh, so, bikes are a big part of the story. It's going to get busy. <laughs> but also, it's also been a catalyst to us really to look hard at our cycling infrastructure. So, uh, on the high speed trains, for example, we've just taken out a bay of four seats uh, in one of the standard class carriages to create more uh, cycle storage. Mm-hmm. That has been incredible for customers and crew uh, who were really struggling with uh, the amount of bike space on those trains and um, UCI have a legacy fund and we applied to the legacy fund and said can we have some dosh please to improve uh, cycling uh, uh, facilities on uh, on on our railway and they ended up giving us two million pounds oh it's believe, okay believe, believe it or not and so we are going to put very, very, very high-profile cycle branding on our trains. So if you look at the Highland Explorer, you've got there on the back of it, um, you know, you've got the big bike. And if you look at what some of the European railways do, yes, uh, you know, when the when the train draws into the station... It's incredibly
0: yeah. obvious where you need to wheel your bike to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, exactly. it's one of the things, having um, ridden on the Greater Anglia Stadlers, I, I, I'm, I'm sure you know which trains I mean, they also yeah. have incorporated that European-style massive brand and i think it's one of the um most successful elements of the outside of that train is it's very and likewise with the wheelchair as well very obvious to see where the people who perhaps have slightly different needs need to be on that train whether it's a bicycle or whether you've got your wheelchair it's really good it's good to hear that i'll, I'll keep pushing this forwards um the electric fleet is brilliant Mm. frankly um i have well i remember first riding on a 385 just as i remember riding on the first of the electric the the older electric trains when they ran to north berwick but these 385s are brilliant they are like little Mm. rockets um Mm. i i I think passengers so we talked about this before this fleet when we last talked about this the fleet hadn't arrived yet um Mm. and you were talking about the sparks effect partly as you'd experienced it in in the north of england as well um the i don't think the passenger experience on these and the passenger response to these has been brilliant how, did you see the ridership uptick that you expected pre-COVID? Did you see that uptick from from the from the well, electric services, or or was there if, not quite if, long if, enough?
1: If, if if I'm honest, it was difficult to tell because uh, obviously these trains were late. Yes, that's true. Uh, and new train introduction is very painful, as yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, we then had some operational issues around December 18. And uh, just as we were, you know, getting to a steady state situation yeah. around all trains being delivered and working reliably, then you sort of went into COVID quite quickly. So, you know, the fact is we'll never know. But of course, it's supporting our train series performance. It's supporting our customer sat. So the last time Transport Focused um, did a, a, a National Rail Passenger Survey, Scott Rail was at 90%. customer satisfaction. And if you look at the operators who are delivering more than 90% customer satisfaction, most of them, you know, we run more trains before breakfast than they run all day, which is not to dismiss what they do. But customer satisfaction uh, on ScotRail is strong right now, and one of the most exciting things is that we know we're going to make it better. Yeah, yeah. These 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 trains were the most reliable new trains in Britain, uh, and we're no longer in that leaderboard because we've had the fleet in for a while now. But you know, some periods we can go more than hundred thousand pound, hundred thousand miles per casualty, and. These trains do about one hundred and fifteen thousand miles per annum. Sounds about right. Yeah. So, on average, one of those trains will have a fault uh, which creates a delay of more than three minutes once a year. Yeah. Which is. These trains are these trains are incredibly reliable. Yeah. yeah. And show and shows what can be delivered with a modern electric fleet because we're not just electrifying the railway to decarbonize we we're electrifying the railway because we want a more reliable higher revenue lower yeah. cost railway and when when the queen died and she was at uh, st giles cathedral we ran uh, our service through the night mm. you don't have to worry you don't have to worry about fueling these trains yeah yeah they just go <laughs> they just go yeah. and they go forever yeah um,
0: and, they, and i have to say when i got so, i remember getting on one and it was, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the fleet is quite, was quite smart at the time. You know, the Scott Rail fleet was, was quite smart when they were introduced already. But getting on these, they were they, were, they are so good inside. They are genuinely very good. And um, so the idea of more of these is exciting. I, as in, you know, and I know that you were talking about the future of the fleet. There are, you know, partly, you know, these weren't procured to be around forever. So the, I know that there's considerations about what's next. But also you are looking at expanding the fleet more broadly. I think, there are, I th- I think that is, uh, is what – I know it's public knowledge because uh, some of that has, has gone, gone out of public. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what, yeah. what that looks like, if you can?
1: So, so, so the first thing to say is we've got a joined-up strategy for track and train, okay? So our plans for rolling stock are aligned with our plans for infrastructure, yeah. And a lot of that is about electrification. So one of the things which is driving the electrification program is the life expiry of the rolling stock. So for example, why are we electrifying the railway um, between Barhead and East Kilbride in Glasgow? Because currently those services are operated by 156s. 156s need to be gone shortly, so we need to electrify that bit of railway yeah yeah so that's that is our logic joined our um, plan. it's revolutionary who would have thought it <laughs> would ever catch on um, so so Scotrail rail operates more different types of train than I think any other train operating company I think we've also identified that network rail Scotland has more different types of signaling equipment than any other <laughs> <Okay>. uh, <laughs> and any other bit of the railway that is not efficient so uh, if we're going to be even more successful, we need to standardize and simplify the way we run our railway. So what we've done with the rolling stock fleet is we've categorized it into um, suburban, uh, intercity and, and rural. And um, if you look at the life expiry of the dates, the life expiry dates of the fleets, if you look at the electrification program, we will end up renewing a uh, about 65% of the Scott Rail fleet, um, you fleet know, by the end of the next decade,
0: mm.
1: so that Tricky. is huge. Yeah, that's huge. That is, that is huge, and we're planning all of that now in a joined up way, uh, and the, uh, the current thinking is what we do is we go and procure a new suburban train uh, which is electric and battery electric, Uh, to operate on newly electrified lines and also to uh, make use of partial electrification. So our electrification strategy is to partially electrify uh, the Borders Railway, partially electrify Fife by battery electric trains so we can switch to zero carbon. Um, And then we'll do full electrification in due course. One of the reasons why we're so keen on full electrification of the railway is because we don't just want to decarbonise passenger; we also want to decarbonise yeah, freight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and then the options
0: know. are more limited for freight. Let's put it that way in terms of alternative traction, right?
1: So, indeed. So, the trains that you see uh, before is that a high speed train? They are on lease to Scotrail for t- until twenty thirty. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, obviously, the uh, looking after a train which is uh, you know half a century old is, 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 <laughs> is not without is, is not without challenge yep. uh, and um, you know we can all argue about how well we look after those trains and the merits are introduced in the first place and whatnot um, and you know we're approaching the third anniversary of the tragic accident at Carmont uh, and we're doing some really good work Uh, with ASLEF around, um, you know, addressing their concerns with the trains, so we've we've invested in uh, the infrastructure, we've invested in our control centre, we are literally modifying the fleet as we speak uh, in terms of strengthening the lifeguard equipment uh, in front of the leading wheels. um, But, you know, we are already planning the replacement of these trains. Because you know, in railway terms, 2035 is not very far away no. at all, is it? No, no, no.
0: So, so a couple of
1: things f- from that. The first
0: thing um, is, um, I guess, just paying very close attention to Merseyrail with their, given that they're probably the furthest ahead with that that battery and, and electrified uh, train, um, which then raises. Because the other thing about the Merseyrail fleet, of course, is uh, there. The famously is is the accessibility of that new fleet. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I wanted to raise, and yes, I have been mean and specifically picked a picture of Dunkeldon burnham station which is renowned mm-hmm. as the worst uh, platform train interface in the country because it's uh, it just has very very low platforms for some bizarre reason they never got fixed um accessibility i i want you to talk a bit about that how much is that front and, in? know you know compared to 10 years ago yeah. it's much more front and center so to so talk a little bit about level boarding and, and accessibility well, and what how that's figuring in your so,
1: consideration for the future so the first thing to say is that the specification for our new suburban trains includes level boarding as a requirement, an absolute requirement. Fantastic. Absolutely so, fantastic. So when we go out and procure all those new trains, level boarding will be a requirement. Now of course it only creates the level boarding where you've got a compliant level platform. Yes. But my understanding is the modern rolling stock is lower anyway. So everyone gets a reduced gap and then when yep. you've got a compliant platform you you get Uh, a lovely it is um platform music
0: to my ears to hear you say that because that is that's literally like a lot of people say oh well you can't do it because you need perfect platforms like no no. yes ultimately eventually you need to go around and fix platforms to get the perfect perfect Mm. interface but procuring the right train doesn't stop everything else from working it it means that you know it it, you're and actually scotland has a benefit that actually yes quite a few you're uh, more rural stations haven't had platform updates for a while. But a lot of your, you know, Egypt, for example, means that a lot of the platforms have been corrected. You have a pretty yeah. good compliance of platforms in, in lots of parts yeah. of Scotland, yeah. actually. So and, you're and, in good stead and obvi- on that front.
1: And, and obviously Borders Railway. Yeah. So, you know, when when we put a battery electric um, train, uh, which is level boarding as a requirement onto the Borders Railway, it's going to be great, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, So, you know, we're buying an asset which will be around for 30, 40, 50 years. It would be criminal not to buy it with level boarding as a requirement. But the other thing is, of course, um, we've 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 invested in accessibility of the existing train fleet. Uh, We've invested in station accessibility. But of course, we have two people on board every train. Yes. And accessibility, a turn up and go railway is a key part of our planning you know 20 percent of britain's population is registered disabled yeah so what why wouldn't you want those people to travel on trains just as much as uh, people who are able-bodied do you know what i mean
0: yeah uh, and it's uh, and i'm I, not going to ask you know, to comment on ticket offices because i think it's a opening a can of worms but I, I think what you've just said is possibly people can draw their their conclusions from what you've pointed well, out about the value of well, tuag for 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 passengers
1: well, I, th- I think the other thing is that actually if you talk to People with reduced mobility they they often say well when we travel we've got two people Rather than just one because yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I'm two customers not just one yeah, and you know Why do you always let why do you always make me leave the train last and all that sort of stuff yeah. and so the we we need You know this is a Scotland's railway is for everyone Yeah You know it's for the people of Scotland And therefore, that's our challenge is to get it, you know, to deliver a great service, not just for people like me, but for everybody. And that is actually a market opportunity.
0: I was going to say that it it makes sense on every level because it just means you've got more bums on seats, which means you've got more fares being paid. It it, it makes makes absolute sense. I I wanted to. So that's music to my ears. I'm very glad to hear you say that, Alex. And, And it's not, you know, it's not. I think it's not just you're not saying that as a PR. That, that's you know, it's very clear that you understand. You know, I'm reassured by the fact you deeply understand that as well. It's not just, um, not just a line um, in a spec. i want, kind of along that point. I want to talk about leadership um, because yours is a a critical role for you know. You have a lot of people. In fact, you probably have the number in your head of how many staff kind of are, are within the, the the broader Scotland's Railway um, organization. Uh, quite a lot,
1: and you are yeah, well. I think. I think it was eight and a half thousand in ScotRail and that were Rail Scotland, but I think the rail industry in Scotland employs sixteen thousand people. Yeah,
0: that's. I mean, that's bigger than the town I grew up in. That's a lot of people. And, and you're their leader. And I think I wanted to talk about. Um, anyway, it allows me to talk about something that that you care very deeply about. You've written very passionately about it. You've written uh, what it's like to be a a lead, you know, a leader who is a gay man in in the railways, and it's been quite inspirational to a lot of people in the industry but i think it was a chance to talk not just about that and not just about uh, this is this is. i think these are photos from glasgow pride which was i think a week and a half a week a week ago two weeks ago i think wasn't it was it the 15th yeah. of yeah. july
1: two weeks two yes.
0: weeks ago um yeah. you've you've stood there as a leader but I, I think it allows you to talk about leadership more broadly so not just in what it figures to be a very uh, you know to to be your true self in front of a lot of staff but but, but yeah. about leadership, I, I don't know if you, if you wanted to just talk a little a little bit about that.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, when you when you get to my level, it's all about leadership rather than what you know. Yeah. Um. You know, I was a you know I was a commercial guy in a train operating company. That's what I know about. And now I manage lots of things that I've, I've not worked my way up on that bit of the of the T. I spend my time working across, and so you know, lead, leadership is a skill, and we should invest more in it as an industry. Uh, obviously, a key part of leadership is about visibility, um, you know, and that includes being able to bring your full self to work. So uh, it was quite interesting. When I was first made the MD of Northern, um, I met my PA for the first time off site. And, and I lived in London at the time. And she said, oh, what does your wife do? <laughs> um, and, you know, I said, well, I haven't got a wife. Uh, at the time, I was with a previous partner, and I said, "Oh, my my partner's called Doug, and he's you know he's a deputy head teacher," and da, da, da. and she was like, "Oh right, okay," and it it was quite interesting because I'd spent fifteen years living and working in London, and yeah. then I went to the north of England, and I'm from the north of England, and it it felt like I was stepping back a little bit in time, and um, as I've got older. And I've got more comfortable in my own skin. I've brought more of my full self to work. And one of the things that really shocked me when I moved to Scotland was homosexuality wasn't decriminalised in Scotland until the eighties. Yeah, yeah, which I just find absolutely extraordinary. And um, w- one of the things we did in in Scotland was, um, you know, we created these sort of Virtual cafes where people with lived experience only could get together and have a cup of tea in a natter like just like we are And lots of people were spending their railway careers in the closet, and I thought you know, that's really that's really sad Mm. Um, And so you know I choose to be open and visible about me now because a it helps me be a better leader It makes me be a happier person because I'm not hiding and holding back part of me um, and but also, there are there are people out there who are really struggling in the workplace because they feel that they have to, you know, act like a you know a, a white straight man. And one of the things that has been quite life changing for me recently is, you know, being reverse mentored by someone who's got lived experience that I haven't. And I was uh, reverse mentored by someone who'd gone through the menopause at work, and a. I was horrified, absolutely horrified by what this person had gone through. Mm. And, uh, you know, we don't have enough women in our workforce, not nearly enough. You know, last time I checked, 51% of the population were female. And I think in rail, we've got about 20%. It, it's pathetic. And we also say, oh, there's a skill shortage. Well, yeah, there might be a skill shortage if we only recruit men. Yeah. But actually, there's a whole there's a whole society out there, some of whom would never consider a, rare, a career on the railway. And I, I was looking at the data the, the other day, um, so the people we're recruiting are more diverse than the people we have, and more diverse than the people who are leaving. So that's great, we're moving in the right direction, but not nearly fast enough. And, you know, I was so heartened when, you know, uh, We've got a driver training cohort in ScotRail at the moment, which is gender balanced. That's which is, which, which quite is something, yeah. And that, that shouldn't be news. That shouldn't be news, but it is. And um, there's a lot of research which says workforces which are more productive, sorry, workforces which are more diverse are more productive, more engaged and safer. They're actually safer. Um, So I also believe that if we've got people in our workforce who are fully reflective of society, actually we'll deliver better products and services. If we've got people in our workforce who are black and minority ethnic, who are disabled, who are gay, who are female, actually we will be more empathetic with the lived experience of our customers. So there's that, you know, well, it's it's, it's
0: true of any team. You, you can't solve the problems of the society for, for engineer. From me as an engineer, I, I feel this really strongly. I can't I, I, the teams that I have. I cannot solve society's problems if I don't know what society's problems are because I'm not representing society. It's really and then that's true for a frontline operation as well. It's really really key.
1: Yeah, exactly. So there was that thing which says, if you're a female, you're more likely to die in a car accident because. Um, crash test dummies are men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you can you believe that? Yeah, yeah. So, so um, we've got a lot of work to do in this area, and I know the industry is, is is changing, but you know, you still get mannels in in UK rail, you know, panels which are full of you know white men, and this is not acceptable anymore. We're 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 a well-funded. Uh, industry uh, vast amounts of taxpayers money goes into our industry we need to represent all of the public not just you know people are overrepresented in our workforce absolutely
0: yeah and so I I mean yeah it's it's really it continues to um, I think it's really important to hear you saying that we've got a few comments saying that people are very um, it's refreshing to hear a leader and someone at the top of the business talking this way. I think actually, as an industry, you know, I think um, um, uh, I think there are quite a few leaders in the industry who are talking this way now. We, we I think, the rail industry across the UK has made a, a lot of progress, but there's definitely more to be done. And it's reassuring that you know leaders like yourself are There was, are kind there of. was
1: a, a, a wonderful, right. wonderful little anecdote, which also happens to be true. There was, at one point, more people on the RDG board called David Brown than there were women.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes, well, indeed, I think that that does rather painfully sum things up. And um, Alex, I'm going to do a little bit of outro before we kind of pick up a few questions. We've run very long. I, I, thanks so much for an extra half hour of your time. Um, uh, but I, I'm glad we've had the longer conversation because we, we, I think we've explored some really interesting kind of we worked our way through quite a lot of interesting stuff to a really good level of detail. Some very happy people in the chat enjoying the conversation. Um very briefly, uh, thanks to everyone listening to this in audio-only format. I will have cut out the long beep while um, Alex and I te- fix the technical issues uh, in the middle. Um, so, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, uh, do drop a review if you can. Um, Patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis to support this sort of thing happening and suggesting guests is something that Patreon supporters can do. Um slash merchandise, or sorry, slash merch for the merchandise, um, which is weird. There's merchandise. There's stuff with um, where you can... You can buy a mug that says things on it that's got Railnatter branding. Very weird. Uh, PayPal.me slash Gareth Dennis for the loose change and abuse. And for the chat to continue, discussions to continue, uk slash Discord for the Discord server. Um, Next week is uh, episode 177. Are any of the new HS2 Eastern Leg options good? Because a few new options have been put on the table and I'd like to explore them in, in the, the the usual level of detail you'd expect from a Railnatter episode. That's next week. But before we talk about next week, um, Alex, I mean... We have had lots and lots of questions, of which most we've answered subsequently, which is good. Um, uh, lots of people are asking about how how your greyhounds are. Um, actually, Lewis, they, asking how your greyhounds very are. Very
1: well, thank you.
0: <laughs> good. Um, um, integration. We haven't talked about integration. Um, is anything happening to do with ferries and and some? Yeah, I know that you run one bus service, and I love the, that that one bus service you run—the little cute little buses in Glasgow that run between yeah. Central and Queen Street. Are you yeah. looking to run? Uh, is there any discussion about integration you know, that,
1: that, that so, you've got your end? So, yes. Uh, so, we've got someone from Sustrans seconded into Network Rail right now, and we've done a strategy between ScotRail and Network Rail on sustainable travel to stations. Yeah. Um, so, that's integration with every mode, and the mode might be walking, wheeling, and cycling rather than buses, for example. Um, but interestingly enough, We talked about the train series punctuality measure, PPM, public performance measure. And uh, one of the things Transport Scotland has recently done, both for Scotland Rail and for Network Rail, is to say, if you miss PPM because you have held a connection uh, for rail, or indeed other modes, you get a dispensation on Ah. hitting the target. And um, I kid you not, I kid you not, uh, today, I had a direct message on Twitter from the captain of a CalMac ferry,
0: <laughs> saying, said, "Just hold it a minute."
1: <laughs> who said? Who said? Oh, hello, I'm the captain of this ferry, and sometimes we miss the rail connection because of this. Duh, 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 duh. You know, we should do something about like this. And so, um, the service delivery director in in ScotRail has said, "Yeah, got that. Let's talk to control and see what we can do." So, what that shows is if you set the right targets for people, you you, and they're based on passenger outcomes. Mm. So you know we don't want the trains just to be just to be on time, do we? We want them to be on time and have passengers on them, yeah. Uh, and therefore, if you set the right target, you'll get the right behaviour. So, I, I and mean, I think you know, really, there should be a partnership agreement between ScotRail and CalMac. We've never quite got round to it i have got their hands full right now, but you can see, you can see, what we're being asked to do, sort of subtly changing, mm. reflecting the fact that you know priorities change. We're you know fully in the public sector now. Um, we don't have shareholders to look after anymore. We have the public to look after. That's our job.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that, and it, it does sound like that has helped. Uh, we talked about the mission, you know, the, the, what the mission is, and, the, and it does sound like that change has helped with that orientation, which is which is reassuring, and I haven't dug much into it because I think it's probably a subject we could talk uh, hours and hours about on, on its own, but it does sound like it is helping to foster some of those right behaviours, which is really interesting. Um, just whizzing back, there have been lots of detailed questions um, of which we've covered pretty much all of them. Um, there's a question about booking bike spaces. Is it possible to book bike spaces online? or, or if not, are yeah. there plans yes. to fix that? Yet? Yes.
1: Y- yes, you can book them online. And you can also now see how many spaces are left, Ooh. I'm told. That's um, good. So, but we're, we're always looking at ways to you know, improve the, the ease of use
0: nice one um and uh actually you know what i think uh, given the ha- length of the conversation we've had a lot of um uh, uh, uh lynn manfu pointing out that the cal in calmat comes from the caledonian railway so they one once rather integrated yeah thanks thanks Lin manfu perhaps that's not a bad place to, to stop actually because we we've had a very long conversation alex and i'm conscious that i'm stealing your evening and i want to give it back um everyone thanks for listening um, and watching alex Thank you so much for giving up your evening and, and having a, a very long, detailed chat This It's been brilliant. Um, don't disappear quite yet, because I'll run the credits and we can uh, say proper goodbye. But um, it only remains for the two of us to sort of bid everyone watching uh, farewell. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Cheerio!